about opinions and that's cool Talking about movies that you once thought sucked But now you realize that they rock They might still suck Fear and Loathing Podcast Wow Welcome, everybody, to Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. It is the last day of August. We are here, and we are ready for spooky season. That's right, August 31st. We're about to step into September, get our toes a little orange and black for the creepiness. And it's going to fill our body with some succubus-like monsters that we're gonna suck the soul out of all the movies i'm so excited yes i'm brian kluger and i'm joined by the three hosts with the most i'm joined by the the leader of a goth band preston barta how are you this is our 39th episode right i believe that's correct i think so, so you yeah could, you, you could say we're in our teenage years so hell is a teenage podcast yeah, I like it. And then we're we're also joined by the needy group of the bunch, uh, all the way from Miami, Florida. Chelsea, <laughs> how are you? The needy low group of the bunch. <laughs> She's low shoulders number one fan. I, I'm low shoulders number one fan, and <laughs> I'm feeling I'm feeling extra salty today. Extra salty. We're yeah. very excited. Very excited. And then the one person who is the succubus of us all the 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 long the long succubus of the law here in Austin Texas Dan Moran how are you I'm doing good I've spent my evening sharpening different pool tools just in case anything goes awry later this evening oh it's space of summer it's always a pool tool right can we say that like five times real fast pool tool pool tool okay pool tool Pull tool, pull tool, pull tool. Yes, of course, we're talking about the amazing 2009 film, Jennifer's Body, directed by Karen Kusama and written by the one, the only Diablo Cody, starring Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Johnny Simmons, J.K. Simmons, no relation, Amy Sedaris, and Adam Brody, who feels like Adam Brody left Stars Hollow and Gilmore Girls to be in this band in this movie uh we'll talk about that later but this movie was almost released uh very close to this podcast some years ago september 10th uh was its premiere and it was a 16 million dollar budget it made 30 million dollars and while we're talking about it on fear and loathing in cinema right now it's because it has a 46 percent on rotten tomatoes uh it's been a while since i've seen this but hey Let's start out. Let's start out with Chelsea. Chelsea, I believe you picked you you had the idea for this movie. Um why did you choose this movie and when was the first time you watched it? So I watched this in theaters when it was released. So I was one of the probably minority that went to see this in the theater and liked it at the time. Um but I picked it because I feel like it's it's perfect for this this podcast um it's way ahead of its time it's uh it was marketed the the marketing killed it um upon like reflection i think it's 
a very big kind of like feminist, queer, um, horror, like cult film. So that's why I picked it. Heck yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, Preston, did you have the same same notion? Were you just a big fan of Juno and Diablo Cody and you were just like, oh my God, it's a horror movie I'm in? Oh yeah. Um, I went to, I want to say the midnight showing of it with my friends and uh, I was a big fan of Diablo Cody's writing in particular, like just the way that she, I don't know, I was, I was in high school at the time that Juno came out and that kind of language was very much a part of the times and I was just totally on board for this happening in a horror film and uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I think even watching it more now, I agree with Chelsea, like it was very much ahead of its time and there's a lot to it that I didn't quite catch and now that I watch it, I'm like, yeah, this really is a great one. So good pick, Chelsea. Good pick. And Dan, how about you? When did you first come on to this movie? I was working at the movie theater at the time. So we would have had midnight showings of it. And I don't remember them being very crowded, um, which, you know, tells you from the thing. But I remember that the marketing for this movie was bad, as Chelsea brought up. But I also remember that there was like a part of the earlier internet and whatnot that was like Megan Fox gets naked in this movie which she doesn't which became like an online thing to try and increase attendance I, I swear there was some I don't know if it was an article I googled last night which was a mistake but I googled last <laughs> night to try to see I wanted to see if I could find like was it uh ain't it cool news was it a early dead spin thing to try to find out because I specifically we talk remember... about Satan later Dan <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I specifically Perfect. remember that being like a selling point uh where where you would have like 13 14 year old boys trying to sneak into this movie at our movie theater and it was strictly because they were like oh the girl from Transformers is naked in it. and she's not at all it's a very smart ahead of its time horror movie but that was definitely a push on the internet from from corners to to try to increase attendance i feel like after the opening weekend kind of tanked so so weird time for movies it was because i i guess i was 27 28 at the time so that puts precedent at 17 or 18 and you know talking about the marketing of this movie this is megan fox's like prime time career uh like in her timeline like hot off the press of like transformers everybody was wanting her and then you know if they marketed like she gets naked in the movie or that was the internet rumor she doesn't get naked in the movie however there are like times in the film where she does kind of like take off her top or clothes but you you see nothing you see like the top of her shoulders it's more suggestive yeah it's very suggestive uh i remember and- set photos of this came out of her like yeah. swimming in the in the lake and that's and I feel like that's probably where a lot of it came from. Like, yeah. oh, look, she's she's naked, but she was wearing like nipple covers, colored bottoms. And yeah. Right, right. But I mean, hey, if that's the way they're going to sell this movie, if they did, sell this it. movie, it didn't do well either way. But it's interesting that this movie. So Juno comes out and, you know, and that's Jason Reitman directed and Diablo Cody written. And, you know, that 
was nominated for a bunch of awards it won awards and all that good thing um but then it's interesting that jason reitman and diablo cody teamed up for this one right after for this like crazy horror movie and i wonder if they really thought do you think that it didn't do well because it was the product of the time do you think people didn't like it what do you think big question I don't know if I have the answer. Well, because um, like there, all the elements are there. Because like, let's say this movie were to come out now in a yeah. twenty-four, they spend ten to fifteen million making it. I can see this movie seriously making close to eighty to a hundred million. But what was it about that time? Like, what? Why did people not gravitate to it? Because again, I'm hearing a lot of it's ahead of its time, and I agree. Yeah. Were people not ready for this type of horror movie that we see so much right now in Blumhouse or A24? I also think the campiness of this was like far ahead. It, it's it's now, I feel like in horror in the last even few years, just the campiness of horror is a lot more celebrated. And I feel like probably this in 2009 was more of like a it's goofy it's we it's goofy this is not what i signed up for um yeah i think for me i think a lot of the marketing killed it like i hate the poster it looked like she's some like it's some like gritty school it's supposed to be a play on student bodies yes i just don't i don't know i just don't like it the marketing for this film like killed it completely which is what i think I think they even used the backdoor virgin line in the trailer, which was always a very cringe line. <laughs> I, I I watched the trailer last night and it is not after I watched the movie a couple of days ago and then I watched the trailer last night and it is not the same thing. I mm. it's it's completely a a failure of the marketing team and understanding what they had, because as Chelsea said, and I think Preston said too, this movie was ahead of its time. This movie is smart. It's funny. It has things to say. You can look at it on a surface level, or you can be like really deep into what some of the themes they were trying to go with. And it's, I enjoyed the hell out of it, to be honest with you. I enjoyed it way more than I ever remember enjoying it years ago. And it's going to get into my rotation now. Like I would tell people, to watch, not to step on the end of the, the pod, Brian, but people should watch this around spooky season. Like this is a this is a really fun body possession movie. Right. I got it. It's a good companion piece with like ginger snaps or something. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of quite a bit of. You know what it reminded me of that kind of figured out the tone in audiences? I don't know if it made money, but I remember the critic thing. Remember the remake of Fright Night? Yeah, I loved yeah. that Disney. Which, but I feel like they figured like. I feel like it was like Fright Night, the marketing was all wrong, but then you see the movie and you understand like, oh, wait, Colin Farrell knew what he was doing in this movie. Like everyone knew what their roles were. It's campy. It's funny. It also has some genuine horrific parts in it. And it it melded all that together to make a really at least successful critically movie. I think that movie actually got really good reviews. I don't know about its box office, but this movie didn't get there. And I feel like it has all of the same ingredients um, to be, to be more than a cult classic, to just be a downright good movie. Yeah, I agree. I, I definitely agree. And it's a good analogy with 
um, Fright Night remake because that's a great one. Um, but yeah, so this movie was directed by Karen Kusama, who before Jennifer's Body did Ian Flux. Did anybody see Ian Flux? <laughs> Dan's no. like yes definitely saw that Charlize Theron yeah something in the future doing things on green screen right and then Not she great. and then Karen I saw, did, I saw girl fight though you did yeah. see girl fight yeah that was I her first girl film fight. and then she did Jennifer's body but then after that she did the amazing movie the invitation which I believe we all liked it's so right? fantastic fest I think yeah so that was a great one. And then she went on uh, for a lot of TV. She did Halt and Catch Fire and Yellow Jacket. She's an executive producer on Yellow Jacket. She did the pilot episode. I mean, I feel like Karen's the one to direct this movie. And I think watching it again, man, the way her eye for like the horror and maybe even the campiness was like a perfect mix of how she filmed this. Because it yeah. felt like a high school movie, but then it really feels like a truly horrific horror film she's, that really goes. She's really, really good at finding the horror elements of simple interactions or just simple things that we can all relate to. Like the high school, even in the hallway stuff, seemed horrific and horrible to me. Like every moment of it. You watch the movie like The Invitation, a dinner party with people you don't know that well. She managed to make that like cringeworthy and horrific, uncomfortable. Like she she really can tap into these universal situations we've all been in and like mine that horror from it, but then also flip on a dime and find the comedy in it too. And she's she's really special in that regard. And then this, I think this is her her um really this is where she she got to really flex the comedy parts because this movie had me laughing out loud several times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say the performances that she got and that Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried gave are just like, this is probably my my number one Megan Fox. Like, I think she's like firing on yeah. all cylinders. She knows what it is. She's loving it. She's doing it like flawlessly. She is. Well, and, and it's coming from truth because I yeah. I remember watching quite a bit of interviews that she did, and it's coming up even more so today. Um, when she she spoke about very loosely, vaguely about her audition and just the whole process of filming the Transformers films, like her audition for Transformers was Michael Michael Bay said, "Wash my car." Yeah, and. <laughs> And so she she draws the comparison of the the studio treatment uh, that she received during the Transformers film to the moment that she, her character is sacrificed, and she just really identified with that. And I find that's what I was picking up when I was watching it now because I I wasn't really privy to a lot of that 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 stuff at the time. And then um, watching it now, I'm like really finding it even more of an emotional connection to her and what she's doing. And I, I see more of what, that this truly is uh, Megan Fox's best role to me. Yeah. I know and I watched some of her, like uh, some interviews that she did and she, she literally said like verbatim, this is my favorite role I've ever played. Yeah. Um, it's there's, I've always been looking for something like this and I've never found it. It's, yeah. 
I'm glad we're having the Megan Fox conversation because I came away from the same thing being like, holy shit, Megan Fox is an incredible actress. Like in this movie, she is simultaneously like super sexy, obviously. She can, but she plays it up to a point. She can do the camp, she does the horror, she does the The actual like yeah like she does the the sadness like the in in internal destruction of just like who she has to be in this town like i came away from it being like i know yes young women are destroyed by hollywood every single week like it's terrible but man did we miss out by having her get stuck with the transformers thing and just like that being tacked onto her and her not be able to break away from that that because she could totally be in movies like um, these A24 type movies and things like that, where she could be playing against type. Like she could be like, oh, you think this is the trophy wife? But no, no, no. It's much deeper than that. And she, because of Transformers, because of the time in which she came up, the mid 2000s, 2010s, the, you know, the sex sells types things, no one ever took her seriously. Um ever again i also shame i also think that is a problem of the time the early 2000s so i graduated school 2005 and we didn't i mean we still don't have it today but we have it a little more today just the duality of women can be both like sexy and talented and like it's not i don't put you in the michael bay box um the transformers box and they can do more than one thing. And she was just kind of shoved into this, like, oh, you know, that's the, that's the, I think she briefly did it like Shia LaBeouf and like had all these, like, you know, all the paparazzi and like TMZ were just concentrating on like her love life, just being everything being expletive. Um, And so I feel like maybe now we have a little more of a balance or I hope we do. Um, but I think that was very much, uh, you know, a problem of the early 2000s. Yeah, but with the musicians, I feel like around that time, they get to come out and now it's like, okay, they've grown up. They're putting out new albums. They can speak on this sort of thing. But Hollywood doesn't go back and be like, hey, Megan Fox, here's this new ensemble. Like, she, picture her in Knives Out. You know what I mean? Like, I think she would kill it in a movie like that. Just like I'm just saying, like I'm not I'm not sitting here being like, oh, she should be taking Kate Winslet roles or anything. I'm maybe just saying, Riley Keough. Yeah, I'm just saying she in this movie. I had no idea the depth of her talent, um, until I rewatched it at the age I am now with the eye that I have now, and I'm like, I would really enjoy seeing her in something doing this again instead of hearing about her like drinking Machine Gun Kelly's blood on some random pop-up ad on Instagram, I see. Like, I don't give a shit about that. Put her in something fun. and But man, we, we not us, the collective, but the world really did her no favors back when she was whatever age she was and was in the Transformers movies. It was like, you must be cleavage. You are simply cleavage. Nothing other than cleavage. And that was pretty much how you she You are hot cleavage. girl on car. Hot yeah. girl on car. <laughs> Make robot man. Which is like, I'm not saying, I was just talking earlier about how there were 13, 14-year-old boys trying to sneak into this movie because they thought she got naked. I mean, that was 
that was the that was the times and now it wouldn't even be a thing if this movie came out i think it would be very successful if it came out today right i agree i do think that um and i like megan fox i've seen a lot of movies with her recently um and i i'm a i'm a big fan like there was there was one where she was like handcuffed to her dead husband right that's carla gugino no there's another one that's to the you're thinking gerald's game Gerald's game no like okay. handcuffed to it someone dead okay yeah like he was um yeah it was like gerald's game Stephen? in the it was in the ice till death it was called till death she found out that he was like lying to her or something he handcuffed to her and then like assassins tried to come get her and she had to drag his body around for like a 90 minute it might have been on netflix or amazon prime and it was like simultaneously she was a badass and also really funny and i remember being like oh well that was kind of fun and now after seeing jennifer's body last night i was like let's do more megan fox stuff let's go i agree okay so here's a question diablo cody wrote this and you have diablo cody isms in here so like lines where the two main characters call each other pet names like um monostat and vagisil um you know (laughs) quit tamponing yourself lime green jello your lime green jello because you're jealous uh do you think this movie would have still like, do you think it would have found its cult status or been as good as we like it without a Diablo Cody written screenplay? Probably not. Like, do you think it would hit the same? Like, if um, you had like the if you had like the same narrative, but just no, because I think that's what kind of adds the humor in it, the humor yeah. that's needed. Yeah, like I had to Google what the hell Shuddies is last mm-hmm. night. <laughs> I was like, wait, what did she say? Like when when we get that uh, Wreck-It Ralph looking uh, quarterback in the woods. <laughs> right. And, and then he asked her something and then he, she says Shuddies. And I was like, what does that mean? And then it's like a nice way to say shut up. And I was like, okay, that's Julie. That's Juno Temple. Or Diablo Cody. <laughs> Not Juno Temple. That's confusing. Shuddies. Okay. I'm glad that I'm glad you Googled that. <laughs> that was also that also is a product of its time. Like that yeah. is what makes it a cult status. Like that was very the dialogue and the, the Yeah, quip. like like uh I, I don't know if I should even repeat it, but it's F A Y G O. Fago. Well, Fago yeah. is a Detroit is a Detroit um soft drink. drink that would like insane clown posse kind of made famous again but but i know what he's doing with it right and like again chris pratt saying this was the role chris <laughs> pratt was born to play that wasn't chris yeah. pratt that was burt macklin macklin, yeah. <laughs> burt macklin. He, yeah. he's almost it, graduated the academy yeah but there was yeah a, I, what was it there's a freak tarted in there too Right. But, you know, never notice like they never said like retarded or the other word like for Fago. So you can kind of get away with it without really. That was very. Adam Adam Brody's character said the R word. Right. Right. Yeah. Because he's he's a douche. So it fits his character. Yeah. But that was also, again, product of its time. There were a million. Oh, yeah. 
substitute words for what you were trying to say that all your friends knew when you were in high school. Just like things that were like code words for really bad words. I'm pretty um, sure I'm pretty sure we used a tragedy boner for a little bit in high school after or yep. no college at this point. Part uh, of after seeing this movie. People, you know, people would use remoron for for like and it's just like the dumbest thing in the world but in my high school people be like he's such a remoron because no one would say but they knew what you were saying like that's very diablo cody being in touch with just that level not even the age but the intellect because obviously adam brody and burt macklin as you said are much older than that but that's just how people talked back then it was ridiculous but very very true and felt very very real and lived in in that world Right. And do you think Diablo Cody right now? So she did Juno and Jennifer's body. Those were her first two big things, you know, minus the United States of Terra. But since then, you know, with Burlesque or Ricky and the Flash, Tully or something like that, do you think any of these really fun dialogue lines that she's written has even popped up since Jennifer's body? Because I don't remember in Ricky and the Flash or I feel like young adult did. Okay. I, I actually yeah, quite I like asking. young adult. Young adult Maybe got young adult. Pop. Yeah. Mostly because of it was nominated, so more people saw it, and Charlize Theron's amazing, and so her saying things. I feel like there was a little push around there, but no, I don't. What happened to her? She wasn't canceled, or she's not bad or anything, is she, Diablo Cody? Because I haven't heard anything from her in a long time. She just living her life. No, I mean, she has two movies that she's writing. One's called Lisa Frankenstein, and one is the upcoming Madonna um, biopic. So. Okay, so she's she's booked. She's busy. Okay, good. Yeah. I, I just, I haven't thought about her, you know. she I, I was making sure nothing bad happened because I was like, man, I feel like we used to get some from her like every two years. But. Right, but I, I, I guess I think this movie wouldn't be as great and long lasting as it is now if it weren't for Diablo Cody. Cause I don't think you can take a normal writer and just add in like, you know, kind of stock ish dialogue here, even though it might be fun. I think this AI couldn't write this. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. AI could not write this at all. So let's start from like that first scene with Amanda Seyfried in the mental hospital and how like it sets the tone for the movie because you see Amanda Seyfried in this film. She has a pop tart in prison when at first you're just kind of thinking, wait, everybody has like a meal, but she has a pop tart. And then some, you know, poor woman who's like the counselor is like, wait, you should eat healthier and then she gets kicked with like a Superman kick and it's blood coming out and everything. And like, she's like turning to this different person and you hear like this narration is like, you know, my life wasn't always like this, <laughs> you know, record scratch. And we go back in time to tell the whole movie. But I think that sets the tone and that's such like a funny moment of the pop tart. And then the reaction she got, you're like, wait, what? Like she kicked this this little small girl kicked this woman across the prison cafeteria. She's bleeding and everything. The tooth is out. I was like, wow, I forgot about this scene. And it, it just, it. Yeah you, don't, yeah. yeah. you don't think about the movie being an entire flashback. I totally yeah. forgot about that. This may be, I'm going forward, but I, as I was 
watching it, I was like, oh shit, she's this whole time. She's an unreliable narrator. Like it's not, you think you're getting this, like you think you're getting needy, this, this sweet little, and I'm just like, oh no, she's very, she's no, she's unreliable. Well, so yeah, I have questions about needy at some point, like we'll get to that in the end, but I like Preston said, I forgot this movie started as a flashback. I, when that scene opened up, I was like, wait, I thought she was like a mousy little in this movie. And then I was like, oh, wait, like it all clicked back to me. Like, I thought that was a great framing device. Very funny and kind of immediately set you up with the tone. So I enjoyed yeah. it. It makes the reveal at the end much more impactful Correct. than yeah. it would be to A to B. Right, right. Okay, so you have this dynamic um, between Amanda and Megan. Do you think Amanda and Megan make a great on-screen duo still? Oh, yeah. One, yes. Two, it makes me laugh that they try to make Amanda Seyfried not, like, almost as quote-unquote sexy as Megan Fox. Well, so Megan I thought Seyfried. about they that at the beginning. They gave yeah. her glasses, Dan. Yeah, yeah, so that was that's what I was gonna say. Hang on, right. everyone, boys, don't get boners, but watch this. Damn! Case <laughs> 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 you can't hear that, that's that was Dan taking off his glasses, <laughs> and and Chelsea putting on her glasses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just I like that always makes me laugh where they're like, I know how we'll ugly up a. 22 year old beautiful actress we're just gonna give her glasses and make her have a weird ponytail and everyone's like bingo you nailed it sir and meanwhile i'm like man i don't know if i was in that school amanda seyfried i would be saddling up to amanda seyfried i'd be like hey, but, girl, but, but look at it amanda seyfried has the boyfriend in the movie she has. Megan fox does not amanda seyfried has the boyfriend yeah but megan fox is kind of this like untouchable yeah, not true. Like, that that's why they have that really great scene in the movie when she's narrating and saying like, "I I'm not the boobs." Like that's that's uh Megan Fox. That's Jennifer. Like that's like the cleavage is Jen- Jennifer's yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, like she has she has to be a support like a support system to her hotness. Right. Yeah. It. it I wonder how true that is was in real life at the time or even today or back then. Um. I mean, I, I guess being for, for Megan Fox. Well, like in just like real life for school kids. Oh, I'm sure it's spe- oh, well, like a female know, dynamic for that. Yeah, it speaks to truth to the female yeah. dynamic at the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing Very that man. I the one thing that I definitely recognized was when Adam Brody said, "Oh, that girl, no, she dresses like that and overreacts, but she's never done anything. She's definitely a virgin." That part, I was like, I knew at least two or three girls in high school who looked like they were the quote unquote slutty ones, as a rude person would say, that were like the most wholesome down to earth. They just dressed like that because that's they developed at that age. They knew it got them attention, however you want to put it, which I'm sure there's lots of things as a male I should not be commenting on this. But that part of the the story of this, I was like, oh, yeah. I, I had three, I knew three girls going through high school who would probably be considered the most provocative dressers, but they weren't doing anything with anyone. They weren't going out to parties and they weren't like, 
you know, doing anything wrong in that regards. Everyone just assumed they were like that because they were beautiful, which is completely unfair and is a huge theme of this movie where everyone thinks yeah. that she's so terrible just because she's hot. But yeah. I feel she, like she's teenage in girls, I was going to say, I feel like teenage girls or teenage boys don't understand that like girls don't dress for boys. But I feel like you you learn that as you get older. Yeah, and well, thank yeah. you as a secondary consideration i as a high school boy i didn't i mean what are we talking about here <laughs> i didn't know anything in high school but if she looked beautiful and dressed like that there was a part of it that i was like oh well thank you thank you ma'am <laughs> thank you ma'am no she just wants to be in control of her sexuality that's yeah yeah which i yeah. like that and i like and i like their dynamic I, th- I thought it was really good and, and as it played on you kind of saw that and i loved that Amanda Seyfried's needy's boyfriend <laughs> played by Johnny Simmons is basically the same, his same character from Scott Pilgrim, young Neil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's just laying on the bed. Yeah. He seemed awesome. I actually think he has the same line in both movies. Like, Oh yeah. It seems awesome. And I, and I love that they make him such a boy. And the fact she names him chip. Yeah. Because he's not even a whole of something. He's just a useless chip <laughs> off something. High school boyfriend. I love everything. Very about smart. Him. Yeah, and I, he gave I just her. Loved... He gave her the best four minutes of her life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just oh man, he obviously a victim in the movie eventually, but just such a perfect caricature of a high school boyfriend because that is exactly just as dumb. Uh, he's dumb. He's useless, and I know at least I, I don't want to speak on Brian and Preston's you know, behalf here, but I was such a dumb, useless boyfriend in high school. <laughs> like, I, I would just, him just being like, what, why do you have to hang out with her? Like, that was just like, that vibe just feels so lived in for You're kidnapping uh, her from me. That's what yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That's what like he says, you're jello, you're lime green jello. Jello. And, yeah. and he's just already over his head with a girl that's too pretty for him. It's just, I, I thought he was great. He was because he kind of does, you know, he doesn't save her, but she he does in a moment like become a hero, sacrifices sure. himself. Like, I mean, even though he, he did wrong. Right, right. Yeah. He's he's not just a chip off the old block, but he is he is though. He is. I like that about him. He was yeah. he was he's just was, chip. His he, he's just his job chip. is chip. His yeah. job is chip. The beach. His oh, job right. is cool. His job is pool. His job is pool, pool. All right, so yeah, he's the Ken. So now we have to talk about, oh my God, Adam Brody, full on goth, Adam Brody, Satan. Because this movie, you know, it takes a turn where it's like, oh my God, there's this emo band at a, like a, in the middle of nowhere bar, but they're really into Satan and they want to do sacrifices in the wood that they found on the internet, maybe And Adam Brody. I mean, is this, did Adam Brody do this because he was typecast as a very lovable person in television? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things that, especially as you pay more attention to it. Cause my wife's a big OC fan. And so when he makes like some comment about like the only reason, the only way you can get famous these days is like some sort of like tragedy or uh, get on a uh, famous uh, soundtrack for a TV show or something like that. And I was like, oh, there you go. Yeah. Even though their band is very much like dashboard confessional like 
and they were featured on Grey's Anatomy season one or something. Right, but Absolutely. it's kind of crazy. They're like an emo band, but now they're like super into just like being it, assholes and Satan because like in the car yeah. when they get Megan Fox in their van, she asks them, are you rapists? And one of the band members replied was, oh God, I hate girls to that question. <laughs> I think Adam Brody said that. Line, yeah, Adam actually. Brody. And I was like, wait, what's, he's, what's going he's got, on here? He's he's just like the best band douche ever put on film, I think. And uh, my favorite line that he probably says is when they're like, it, that exact question that you were alluding to earlier, Brian, it's like, why why are you playing in like this town? It's like, oh, well, we like to, you know, reach out to our fans in shitty areas too. <laughs> and she agrees. She's like, yeah. Yeah. She's like, yeah. Yeah. That's good. But like he plays it so well. Like, cause like going, I mean, you really could take his character from Gilmore Girls as being the first boyfriend of Lane Kim to this. And you're just like, oh my goodness, he's like the sweetest guy. But then here he's the complete opposite, 180 of that. He is such a gigantic asshole in black makeup. And it's unbelievably good. See, just... I've been a Seth Cohen just uh lover since since the oc mm-hmm. and so i i love adam brody when he can be mean and nasty and this is i love that he can be mean and nasty and it brings like promising young women as well yeah him as being just like the absolute douche rapist crazy person and i i don't know i like him playing off his good guy persona it gives me i don't know yeah uh, brian how would you rate his douchiness adam brody in river wild didn't you see that the the remake of river wild i i, have Dan. Not, yeah, I watched it i didn't watch Dan, it dance hot that's what it was i watched so, it um he's just good at playing against type like he is a jerk in that he promising young woman um when he was in uh, what was the other one where he was kind of, God, I looked up his thing last night. Of course, I'm on a, you know how this goes, right? As I was about to say something. Oh, ready or not, as the boyfriend. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Eventually yeah. becomes like, he's super sweet and you're like, oh my goodness. And then he turns on a dime in the final act and like, he's just, that's what he's doing. And I think a lot of it is he was on arguably Fox's one of Fox's most successful TV shows ever. And he's before residuals went away and he's just making that bank and is like, you know what? I'm just going to play against type and live my life. And he's choosing yeah. interesting roles. Yeah. He's like, he's following the same path as Allison Williams, like being oh, that, that the yes. one to kind of lure you in and then just like, yeah, nice. You. He did also, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Jay and Silent Bob reboot where he has I the cameo as the <laughs> hot topic salesman. Yes. Which yes. is essentially the same character he plays in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he no. just looks really good with, with eyeliner. So he yeah. does, he does. They, and they knew that. Um, so yeah, I like him and let's talk about, you know, J.K. Simmons got award nominations for Juno, and then he shows up here with a full head of hair, maybe the first time ever. Uh, and he's like, just the substitute a teacher for a hand in a hook, and he one handed. Yeah, you said full head of hair when he has a whole ass book for a hand, <laughs> <laughs> and he like Why? some jocks crying, and he like takes it. He's like. <laughs> <laughs> That I mean, I feel like Diablo Cody and Reitman just have 
they love him and it's like okay you were this in Juno you've been in these roles and then you're just this kind of substitute teacher-esque guy with just curly accent yeah oh it's so great I I loved him in that um I also want to bring up the band one of the the lines that I really liked that I wrote down when they pull out a knife and he goes oh that's a Bowie knife and one of the bandmates goes Bowie Bowie (laughs) 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 Bowie and I thought that was like if Diablo Cody was writing this and she probably was just like laughed at herself, it was like, Oh, that's got to go in the movie. Somebody has to like throw away this line perfectly. Yep. And I think that's the genius to Diablo right there. Cause I, I mean, yeah. I feel like we've all thought that, but never said that out loud. I certainly do in seventh grade history, <laughs> learn about the Alamo. Right. <laughs> Bowie. But, but, yeah. but Bowie. Uh, Never would have thought Bowie. So do you think when Diablo was writing this, do do y'all get Carrie vibes in this? Oh, of course. Oh, like do you think this is a like a spiritual sibling to Carrie? Especially with the fire and being at school and trying to take out people. Yeah. It's like the more the revenge version of it. Yeah, you think so? Yes. Okay. All right. So with that being said, I thought you were about to where I thought you were going is, can you imagine Diablo Cody writing this and just cracking herself up writing those lines like that or those? No, jokes? I think I think she was. I I because they're so funny and yeah. we don't see that in movies enough anymore. Yeah, so, there's that there's that line uh, that uh, J.K. Simmons says when that when that jock guy's crying in the woods, he's like, oh. Get it out. <laughs> get it out. Yeah, get it out. Uh, okay, so as the movie plays on and it comes to the end, there is a credit sequence. There's no Sam Jackson in it getting a team together, but we do see Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy, um, become possessed by the succubus that was once Megan Fox and Jennifer come to her. She escapes her prison, which she's been narrating the whole movie from, and through kind of like dash cam body cam footage we see her attack that band with adam brody low shoulder so my question is while jennifer um her when she was the succubus when she was this demon she was killing pretty much anybody and who knows how long she's been around kind of thing where uh but do you think that now that needy menacefrite's character is now this character is this succubus? Do you think she's going to boondock saints it and just kill bad people? Probably. Promising young woman, man. Oh, yeah. okay. So I feel like that's what it implies, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she's going to be like, okay, I'm done after the band. But like, it, seemed, it to... seemed like she had some more fire within her to always feel responsible for killing her friend and, and, and not trying as hard as she could or as much as she was feeling when her friend got in the van. So okay. maybe. All right. And what about you, Chelsea? Do you think that she, she would maybe eventually become to kill anybody and anything, or do you think she would be like the, the vigilante? Well, I think about that moment at the very end where she, you know, she stabs her in the heart and then there's just, just this kind of flicker of, her her glow like her human glow comes back and she sees like her friend again 
And so I don't know. I, I don't know if she would continue being like a vigilante or something, but I don't, I don't know. I'm just all for more succubi in the world. Yeah. Oh yeah. I want, I want a sequel with the, actually I want two different sequels. I want that sequel, that continuation, but I also want more versions of like Jennifer something like Jennifer, <laughs> Jennifer Otu or something like that. like Bubba Hotep <laughs> and Bubba Nosferatu. yeah. I like it. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay, so there's that element of it. So let's talk about the um, Black Swan scene, the the sex scene between Needy and Jennifer. Let's cycle. Where are you going with that? Yeah, no, it's like the Black Swan scene. Uh, it, I mean, that scene, how they filmed it with... Jennifer licking the inside of Needy's lips and then going down. I mean, that brings back to the LGBTQ cinema and what maybe what they were trying to say. What would y'all think about that scene? To, to me, I thought of it more as for... Amanda Seyfried's character to kind of just, she doesn't really know what her sexuality is. And th that's all it was to me. I, I didn't really think of it like, is she truly in love with her best friend? But I, I don't know, but there are, you know, a lot of lines, you know, like it opens with like, uh, we had that special sandbox love and then there's all kinds of other, like there's a lesbian line and things like that. And so there's, uh, there's an obvious admiration and attraction there, but I To me, it was just more like uh, just for her to just question her sexuality and that's it. All right. All right. What about you, Chelsea? What do you think about it? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Preston. The whole like sandbox love never dies kind of flickers in there. And she, I think Jennifer even says, oh, like we can have a sleepover. We can play boyfriend, girlfriend, like, like we Yeah. used to kind of thing. And at that point, I feel like Needy is very conflicted, like, in her sexuality and her teenage sexuality, because there's, there's two different. And I, I guess I just noticed it last night, but it was just like, when she's being intimate with her boyfriend, she's thinking she's seeing things of Jennifer. And then when she's with Jennifer, she's, she's, she has that, like the hopeless thing and um, more kind of like chip stuff. So she's very conflicted. Mm -hmm. yeah it could also be like an attraction towards darkness her ultimately becoming what we say at the very end of the movie like because at that point she knows that her friend who's no longer her friend anymore is completely uh disrupted and like there's this whole new uh entity uh within her and And so like that, it could be just that she's attracted to that and maybe there's a little more to it. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. that's true. Dan, what do you think? I can't add much more than what they just added. I think we're all in agreement on what kind of the theme and point of those scenes were. And they were, they worked. <laughs> All they right. worked. No, that's They good. achieved That's what good. they had to go I'm on. glad. That's for And sure. I mean... <laughs> This movie, all right, so I know we talk about, uh, we always like to see what um, Ebert, Roger Ebert, said about this movie, uh, Preston. Do you know if Robert Ebert, yeah, he did. He enjoyed the film, dubbing it a Yeah. twilight for boys and saying, as a movie about a flesh-eating cheerleader, it's better than it has to be.
Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite, because I looked up his review right before we recorded, and he has a really, so this is his opening. So he does say that the Twilight for Boys thing, but he uh, also says Diablo Cody's next screenplay after Juno is a 180-degree reversal with the heroine now transformed into a fiend who eats flesh of teen boys. Can you imagine Juno's poor boyfriend, Michael Sarah, with steak sauce? And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. That's like cheesy that. as hell. Well, yeah. like, yeah, like the movie. All right, so I think we took some, we, we posted this on our social media and we asked the fans of the show to give us questions. Chelsea, did you get any questions? So, yeah. Um, so the first question I got was from my friend Rob and he said, is he just wanted to know, do people think low shoulder is a good band? <laughs> like was through the trees, a, a, a good song. I mean, if no, you're going even, to even emo the movie night, knew, right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to emo night and they're playing the uh, tour, I think they have a fan base, but me personally probably not but i there is an emo an emo fan base still to this day so i think they would actually be pretty popular okay i'm gonna be i'm gonna be supportive and say that they were a good band only because they were willing to sacrifice so much in order to achieve success no matter how short-lived it was they really put it all on the line out there they got their... what they deserved they wanted to be like maroon five and they kind of yeah. got it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Morrissey and Maroon Five mixed together. Oh my goodness, low shoulder. That's a good one. What? what any other questions? Pick a destiny. Um, yeah. um, I had someone ask, "Do you think this made Megan Fox a bi icon? A like bi a icon? icon? Is she a bi yeah. icon? Like a bisexual icon? Yeah. Do you think this role kind of cemented her?" Because there have been a million think pieces and a million things about her just kind of opening up so many people's sexuality and making them feel to feel comfortable coming out because of this film. Hmm. I, I, I wouldn't put it wouldn't put it past it. Uh, like I, I would say a strong argument could be made. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like an icon. I don't know if she became the poster child for anything, but... Not enough people saw this movie to... Yeah. <laughs> That's true. And I think, yeah, maybe people got... Okay, so perfect example of that is the Babadook. For some reason, the Babadook became a LGBTQ poster child. But I don't think... Megan Fox did for this movie. And I don't know why, because they're maybe yeah. one of the, I mean, the Babadook doesn't even kiss anybody. <laughs> no, yeah. he just he just serves face in every scene that he's in. So <laughs> worms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Shout Factory needs to do this movie and then also give it one of those rainbow slip covers like they did with the bat the Babadook. Yeah, I feel like that would be good because I think if people came back to this in the younger generation right now, I feel like they would discover that Jennifer's body is something more than what we see than like on the surface because there is a yeah. lot more to it. No, I like yeah. that. All right. And I know, Preston, you had a question you texted us last night. Yeah, 
Favorite fictional band. So 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 before before you do that, I love that in all of these teenagers' rooms, there's always blatant like yeah. music posters of something on there, yeah. and I like the fake victory. So I have a I have a sub question to go with that with yours. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I did I did find it funny that there's a I think there's a Panic at the Disco poster. And what's funny is that in the movie, there's a panic at the disco and they all get out of the bar. Yeah, it's great. So there's a panic at the disco needle drop, too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the soundtrack kicks ass. Okay. So, favorite fictitious band. So, interestingly enough, on my radio show on Soundtracks Radio, I did a whole show on fictitious bands. Like, I played songs from all the fictitious bands from movies and TV. So, I loved it. Sweet. Should I go first? Yeah, go for yes. it. I think my favorite is um, <laughs> Randy Watson and Sexual Chocolate. Chocolate. Playing, okay. Playing the Black Awareness Rally <laughs> in Queens, New York. One Thank more, you. One more time, Randy Watson and my band Sexual Chocolate. <laughs> I love it. That one's, that one's definitely up there for me. I watched that the other day and I was just like, God, I love that part. <laughs> it's so great because how he introduces them is he's he's from jackson Heights. it's one of the what's going down episode of that's my mama <laughs> it's just so good oh coming to america <laughs> eddie murphy it's so great all right so yeah that's i mean i have so many favorites but i think that has to be my favorite who else fictitious bands like wild stallions anybody i got one all right um together Yes. <laughs> is that From, the calculus song me plus yes. equals us? early 2000 that that part of my life when that came out i thought that was the smartest comedy idea in the history of the world because boy bands were such a thing and that show on mtv was very if you think about it, very ahead of its time and the songs were so stupid but they were also so damn catchy that did dominated they, MTV at the time. Like that's all they could talk about at the time. Did the they put out Rocky. an actual album? Did they put yeah, out, they an, actual put out album? an actual album? Okay. I bought it. <laughs> oh shit. The, hard, the hardest part of breaking up is getting back your stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. All right, Chelsea. Um, so I want it. I feel like there's a there's a lot of fictional bands that I that I love, um, but I wanted to stick with kind of like the girl power theme um, because in the early 2000s nostalgia and I'm going to go Josie and the Pussycats because that was a fun movie. And but I think the music was better than the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Josie and the Pussycats. That's good. I, I feel like if I would I would uh, go alongside that, I would say the because I know like Cherry Bomb. Um, like mm -hmm. I know that's real, but Cherry Bomb, the fictitious band in Howard the Duck, amazing. Like they're so <laughs> good. And you yeah. have Tim Robbins as a manager and a duck doing the duck walk. Well, My God. I I'm also in. honorable mention Style Boys and Connor <laughs> Carreal from Popstar. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. All of those songs are incredible. And uh Dewey Cox. Yep. And his entire band. Like those are legitimate soundtracks where if if you if you played those songs on the radio, people would be like, Oh, okay. You, you know right. how many you know how many times I quote in my dreams you're blowing me? 
<laughs> Preston, what's your favorite fictitious band? Uh, I have to do two because the kid in me wants to say the Beats from Doug. Oh, oh Doug, yes. That was almost mine. Yeah. that the, Like, that was, like, epitome of cool back in the day. Um, because there was always that dream. Like, every coming-of-age movie ends with, like, a talent show or something. And it was just always the dream to be in a rock band playing and impressing people. So um the adult to me just because i watched this not too long ago and i forget how damn funny it is and it's in like probably my top 10 comedies of all time uh infant sorrow but more <laughs> so for uh forgetting sarah marshall not getting with the greek but inside yeah, you inside of you inside yeah. that's you. a good one I've played all of these on the show, including the beats uh, from that. But uh, nobody mentioned Drive Shaft from Lost. <laughs> or Scotty doesn't know. I, I played that yesterday. <laughs> he said bands, not songs. <laughs> that yeah. was a band led by Jason Bourne himself. No, I know, but was it called? I don't know the name of the band is the problem. I know Lustra. The Lustra. Lustra. Okay. Bad ones. One hit wonder. <laughs> what, what about um, Ninja those... Rap? <laughs> That's just That's Vanilla what... Ice. I know. Yeah. But were they called Vanilla Ice? I don't know. Well, that I have a Vanilla Ice question. Is his character he plays in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two when he does the turtle rap, where they he just freestyles off the dome? Is he actually Vanilla Ice in that, or is he someone else? Because that song is a banger. It, yeah. Well, Ninja Rap is the best. And interestingly enough, you bring him up. We'll do this movie at some point, Cool as Ice. But yes, we will. Because th this mo movie's insanely good. There is a new interview with the cast, including Vanilla Ice with mm -hmm. him. And he talks about, because they ask him, like, what's your best movie you've been in? Because he's been in a lot of Adam Sandler stuff. He's been in a lot of stuff. He's like, the best thing I have ever done still to this day is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Nothing will ever top it. And Perfect. he's very aware. Yeah, it's Ninja Rap is insane, insanely good. But I think he was Vanilla Ice. That was the time it was Vanilla. I mean, if you could probably go look to see if he actually had a name, it might say rapper because I don't, or it might be Robbie Van yeah. Winkle. Yeah, <laughs> he plays that song twice in a row in that movie because I yeah. watched it the other day and I was like, dude, he just really loved it and just didn't come up with another song just listen when you're that talented you just play the hits it's, yeah. it's good all right so to the sub question for the favorite fictitious band as we see in jennifer's body in all of these high schoolers rooms tons of little posters of bands what uh posters did you have on your wall growing up band wise i had metallica before it was cool and because I had an original 80, like a Justice for All poster up in my room. And also had always been cool before you were born. I was about to say. Pre, <laughs> pre Stranger Things, man. <laughs> Went back because they, they were one of my first concerts. Um, and I saw them when it was like $20 a ticket and not a hundred something. Um, and I also had Glenn Danzig, so I had Danzig posters up there because I, I I loved him. All right, I had Third Eye Blind poster on my wall in middle school. No shame in that. That is a great first album. 
and then they kind of got weird. And then I remember I thought I was very, very funny and very cool. And I had the take off your pants and jacket poster that came in the the <laughs> liners for Blink-182. And I was like, <laughs> that's a jack off joke like to have on your wall. I thought I was so cool. Um, and I think oh. I think one time as a joke. um, I put up uh, the Jennifer Simpson. Jessica. Jessica Simpson's okay. solo album um, as a joke. And then I was like, no, nah, she's hot. I'm going to leave it up on my wall. So I put it up as a joke, which turned into a reality. But it's I was like trying win. to tell people, no, this is a joke. This is a joke. And I was like thinking back on that. I was like, there's not like I'm a teenage boy having a beautiful woman on your wall. There's nothing wrong with that at all. So <laughs> but I never bought her album. That's for sure. <laughs> Awesome. I had I had a lot of so I I had that same take off your pants and jacket, but for other reasons. <laughs> what reasons? Loved, yeah, <laughs> I, I just loved Blink One Eighty Two. Um, like Jennifer, I had my little Fall Out Boy poster, um, but the poster that stayed up on my wall for the longest time wasn't like a band. It was my X Files I Want to Believe poster. So. Nice. That's very mold. That was that was my favorite poster that I've ever had. Dan reminded me that I had a Bloodhound Gang poster up for (laughs) the Bad Touch. Love that song. Oh, I wanted cool boys are so cool. Also wanted to quickly uh, mention. um, I forget the name of the band, uh, but the one that's in Just Friends with uh, Amy. What's her name? Well, I know, yeah, Ryan Reynolds and what's his name? Or what's her name? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. I'm, her name I don't know. One, uh, Chris Pratt's wife, or ex-wife. Anna yeah. Ferris. Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris. That's right. I want to show yeah. you this. My daughter can do this. Hang on. That's her door. She put <laughs> nice. Taylor, Taylor on Swift. Her front door. And for some reason, an American American flag. Yeah, I guess that's just so <laughs> message. I guess that so when the jackbooted thugs come to our like, she gets to survive when they see what I've been typing about some political leaders in Texas. <laughs> like maybe she has I'll, that protection. Yeah, they'll come yeah. take me. They'll come take me for being anti-American. But like this girl likes Taylor Swift and the flag. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to round her up. Just her parents. Mm-hmm. That's good. We saw how they voted. Get them out. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm thinking of the things that I had in my teenage bedroom. And I remember when NSYNC and Britney Spears did like a McDonald's collaboration. And I literally walked into McDonald's and I took the Britney stand up and I just walked out. So for like a decade, I had a Britney Spears stand up in my room. I'll I'll do you one that makes even less sense. When I worked at the movie theater, when Silver Surfer or... Fantastic hey. Rise of the Silver Surfer came out. You had that big one. Big metal guy surfing. Yeah. It weighed like 137 pounds, and we were supposed to take it down and return it. We made ours magically disappear up in the projection booth, like up in the ceiling. It took three of us to like wait one <laughs> up on the ceiling. And after like a year, we were like, what are we going to do with this thing? We thought we could like sell it to a comic book store, you know, or something and like make some money off of it. What we ended up doing is we brought it down and there was a huge staircase um, off the back of our building. Honestly, it was like 
two full stories just straight down and we put them up because it was an actual surfboard so we cut off the surf like fins on the bottom so it was just like a skateboard and we stood him up and he just went down and shattered into like 10 different pieces <laughs> so what you're saying is the arm broke off and then we got talked to me <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what it came that's what it came dumbest, down to dumbest thing we ever did we were like oh we gotta keep this giant silver surfer and it's just us hiding it upstairs you should have done it like how people have those like huge skeletons and just dressed it for the different yeah, yeah. Or my different wife would movies, love that yeah. oh what's What's the silver surfer dressing today? Well, it's almost flag day, so we put a bunch of American flags on. Yep. <laughs> well, that's good. We need to do silver surfer on this podcast. Is there a movie silver surfer? Oh, the rise yeah. of silver surfer. Yes. Yeah, dude. I you got that poster. You got that thing for a reason. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> Jennifer's body. Oh, shit. I never said what I had on my wall, did I? No. No. Are you curious? I'm I'm curious based on what's behind you half the time in these. Dan, you got to guess. You got to guess. What did he have on his wall? You will uh, never guess. Uh, Michael Jackson for sure. So that that's the only one you would guess. But where was my Michael Jackson poster, and what poster was it? That's it was too. That's too specific. Bad. The, him wearing the yeah, yeah. Him wearing the leather jacket. No, it was from history, and that poster of just him on a red background was above my bed. <laughs> so, besides that, what do you think poster I had? Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Nope. Close, though. It's illegal. Um... The Odd Life of <laughs> Timothy Green. <laughs> I had New Kids on the Block poster. Okay. Sweet. Okay. And I had Saturday um, Night Fever, John Travolta. Poster. Gross. Gross. <laughs> yeah. The movie's terrible, dude. You're you're a big pop guy, Brian. Uh, very much so. I still think New Kids on the Block are fantastic. Yeah. So good. Um, so those were like the because I had a lot of movie stuff, but those were like the big music ones. Um, oh, and I had an for some reason a solo ice cube one. <laughs> it would be the only way to make that funnier is if you meant there was literally just like you had a poster of just one ice cube like the actual physical no it wasn't like nwa it was like ice cube it was it was interesting i guess <laughs> i liked ice cube it was, next was to your new like... kid, it was next to your new kids on the block no it was like on my so like the new kids on the block was on my door to the room (laughs) michael jackson was above my bed john travolta was above my dresser and on my closet doors was ice cube and it wasn't like the one like pushing rhymes like wait it was like way before that it's funny because normally john travolta is the one that's in the closet so (laughs) (laughs) zing zing so yeah i know i had a lot of I have pictures of the old room and it's crazy. Also, also, Michael Jackson being above your bed. It's just a weird. Yeah, I was going to comment on that. And then I'm like, I just think it speaks for itself. So. <laughs> I think yeah. that's Every night was a hee hee. The tee hee hee man's going to get you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. To round out Jennifer's body movie podcast on fear and loathing, let's go around uh, and say, do we recommend this? Is this a highly recommended? Is this like something that we need a criterion of? What's going on? Let's start with Preston. 
Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I think it's a very fun movie. I think even Dan said it's a good one to throw in your spooky time uh, rotation. It's, uh, yeah, it was underappreciated at its time. I think it's something that should be have a resurgence. It needs to have a shout or some sort of nice filled out special features and everything kind of hard at the time uh, right now with the strike going on but it i think of all the a lot of the interviews i've been coming out with megan fox and how she's been as uh, chelsea said like it's the role that she uh loves the most and i think she has a lot to say about it and i think we should all get that that nice uh treatment uh, so 46 percent on rotten tomatoes what should not what should it be 81 81 all right there you go dan your, your your recommendation and its relevance to john wick oh shit um, oh it's definitely it everyone should see it um i think it's great just like preston said put it in your spooky season it's a great body possession movie it's a great cult horror movie i think it's a great uh, more female focused horror movie most of the time the females in horror movies as we all know are just there to be attacked and in this one they have a lot more agency so i feel like that's probably why it's quote-unquote cult um but it should be more than that and i think everyone sh should go out and see it as far as john wick i don't know <laughs> you put me on the spot now i'm at a loss for word. i feel like John, oh, I know. Adam Brody's band could definitely been playing at one of the clubs in John Wick. And you, wouldn't even <laughs> and you would not have thinking. even noticed. If he was headshotting yeah. people and all of a sudden it was Adam Brody's band with eyeliner on that got blasted, absolutely could have been in there. But that's that's really all I got. And let's yeah. just let's just say at Fantastic Fest, which we will all be at, Keanu Reeves will be in his emo band playing bass at Fantastic Fest or shortly after it. <laughs> That's great. In Dog Star. So there you go. Because it's just gonna be directors there, right? Yeah. For now. Um, I know there's Producers. Some, yeah, A24. Cinematographers. Keanu has some, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. We'll see. Uh, gonna Chel be there? That would be awesome. What'd you uh, say? Freaky Deaky? Roger Deakins? Yeah. Roger Deakins. <laughs> Freaky Deaky. That's good. Uh, Chelsea, recommendation? Yes, absolutely. For all of the above reasons that everyone else said, um, I do think it needs some kind of like special edition um, criterion. Just give it, I just, I love this movie and I love how kind of smart and just funny this movie is and it's terrifying at certain parts as one one of the things that we didn't talk about which makes me laugh every time is when he's just adam brody is just stabbing her and they're all singing eight six seven five three oh nine yeah nine yeah yeah so good. and i just that makes me laugh every single time because i was like this is so fucking weird yeah. <laughs> but yeah I, I i love this movie i think it you know, it didn't get uh, its due when it came out. And yeah, it's it's the it's a great transition into spooky season. So 46 so. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Do you agree with Preston at 81 or do you think it deserves more or less than 81? Like 83, 84. It's got to like in the 80s. Yeah. OK, 
All right. Uh, Dan, high, high 70s at least. Do you think it's 80s, 70s, or do you think it's 90s? Not 90s. I'll go 79. Okay. <laughs> just, just just enough to go. <laughs> oh, he he figured out my plan. <laughs> no, I like Jennifer's body. It gets a highly recommended for me. It, this movie still slaps and does it all. It, it, it's it's funny and it when you're talking about a horror comedy movie, there's a fine line you can walk and Diablo Cody and Karen did it perfectly and everybody was on board here so i think the mix of the brutal horror and the gore and then the poignant social issues that it brings up in school and the lgbtq community and the comedy i think just all nails it and so i would go as far as to say like this is maybe an 89 percent damn dude it does have my uh favorite like evil dead like shot in it when they're going on the football player, it's just like, yeah. But isn't it the like, longest thing? Like, and there's yeah. no like leaves. And I and I thought about I thought about that. I thought about Evil Dead, and I thought about Monty Python, Holy yeah. Grail, with the rabbit coming because it's yeah. just like it's 15, 20 seconds of you know that Pam from Evil Dead. Yeah, but with some really good death metal playing. It is. Yeah. Oh, that made me laugh. Oh yeah, the Evil Dead reference, and the they mentioned is that my Evil Dead T-shirt. Yeah, and yes. the, the little poster. 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 Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Jennifer's body. <laughs> you, better, you better get out of my uh, Evil Dead shirt or they might break up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, Jennifer's body, you can stream it for free on Max if you have a subscription. But please, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Criterion, Arrow, Kino Lober, somebody please... Uh, put this out in a big bastard edition with new interviews. They did it for Cool as Ice. You can do it for Jennifer's body, please. And thank you. Uh, we are Fear and Loathing in Cinema Podcast. Thank you for listening. Dan, where can they find you? I am on Instagram, the Fear and Loathing Instagram account. So come on. I had some funny comments and some guesses and people are engaging on there. So keep it coming. Keep it coming. Chelsea, where where are you sitting pretty in this internet world? Um, I am on Twitter. It's still not X. Uh, at Miss underscore Tenenbaum or Chelsea Nico on everything else. All right. All right. And Preston, have you have you gotten your porn site up yet? Your OnlyFans? No, not yet. Um, working on it. I, I'm still looking at yours for pointers. <laughs> uh, I'm on exactly um, <laughs> husband bulge you can find me on mostly on Instagram at Blu-ray dad and then I'm also on Twitter under my name Preston Barda and you can find writing and all kinds of other stuff on freshfiction.tv and dittonrc.com for Ditton Record Chronicle Heck yeah. And I'm Brian Kluger. Find me at highdefdigest.com, boomstickcomics.com. You can find Press and I at My Bloody Podcast, which will be starting back up very soon with some amazing episodes. I'm also No BS with Brian and Susan and the Entertainment Answer about all that big brother life. Um, yeah, find us. I'm Brian Kluger everywhere. You know, only fans it. We love you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>